Thank you to the Halls for leading us in music today. That last song was lovely. Thank you very much for blessing us with that. Uh, you can turn to Exodus chapter 10 where we'll be this morning. It's good to see all of you. Verses 21 through 29 of Exodus chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God, and we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, and again, the opportunity to come together and to worship your great name, and to praise you, and to study your word, and to worship you through song and through prayer. Lord, may our lives be a living sacrifice to you, Lord, dedicated to you, to serving you, to growing in the knowledge of you, Lord, to being your people. Lord, we pray for everyone who's here today, Lord, that we all may know the truth of the gospel and live lives in accordance with that. Lord, may we shine that light in our families, in our community, and in the world, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So over the past few weeks, we've been moving through passages in Exodus and building up to the Exodus event where God frees the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. But before that happened, there was Pharaoh and his refusal to allow the Israelites to leave. And so God brought a series of plagues upon Pharaoh, which we've been covering for six weeks. This morning, we look at the ninth and penultimate plague, darkness. In the text, this ninth plague is among the shorter plagues in the Bible. But it still covers many of the same themes that we've seen in the previous eight. As we've moved through these passages, we've seen an intensification of the plagues. They started as nuisances. The water turned to blood and the frogs. Then they escalated. The death of livestock. Disease, which causes boils. Then God unleashed severe weather and a hailstorm. We saw the ecosystem devastated by a plague of locusts. And here we come to darkness. Now, in comparison to what has come before, at first glance... That might almost seem anticlimactic or more tame 
than the plagues that preceded it. But as we move into this plague, we see that's anything but the case. And with that, we'll jump into our text this morning. And the first thing that we'll see in this ninth plague is that it comes without warning. Verses 21 through 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. The first thing that we must appreciate about darkness is that it impacted people in ancient times differently than it impacts us today. During harvest, you'll see combines at night sometimes with these powerful lights. Sometimes if you're driving in Chicago at nighttime, if you're doing road work at night, again, you'll see these big beaming lights. We can travel in the dark. Our cars have lights. We have cell phones that have light. We have street lights. And again, the bigger the city, the more and more street lights you begin to see. But none of these are luxuries that they enjoyed in ancient times. Darkness had a stopping power in the ancient world that it does not have today. It was difficult to travel in the dark and also dangerous. It's when unsavory people are more likely to be on the move. And it's also when many of the more dangerous predators are on the hunt. And so God brings utter darkness upon Egypt. Verse 21 says that it was a darkness that could be felt. Some scholars take that literally as if it's a reference to some sort of sandstorm that blocked out the light. I don't like to think that it was a dust storm or a sandstorm. Most notably because it's not mentioned in the text. And so that's somewhat speculative. I think when it says that the darkness could be felt... It's metaphorical that it was so utterly dark that it caused this visceral response where it was almost tangible. There was an intensity to the darkness. And the text says that there was pitch darkness in Egypt for three days. Think of how disorienting that would be. It's not like they had clocks or cell phones that they could look to in order to check what time it was, or even what day it was. In ancient times, and undoubtedly in places still today, people still use the sun to help keep track of time. But with a few days of no sun, how do you know when it is? How do you know, well, it's been a few hours, or it should be morning now? You wouldn't know any of that. Time would lose all meaning. They've done studies on people who have spent extensive time inside of places like caves where it's truly dark and no sunlight. And again, how quickly our clocks get totally thrown off with the absence of light. Three days in utter darkness. Three days confined to your house, stumbling around. And... A theme that we've seen in so many of the other plagues, we see again with the darkness. But once again, it points back to creation and to God's uncreation of Egypt. 
Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth, earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. In the beginning, God made light. In Exodus, he takes it away. And there's another reason why the darkness would be so disconcerting to the Egyptians. Yes, darkness made things more difficult and dangerous. But, and again, as we've seen in other plagues, darkness also turned their religious worldview upside down. Now, again, throughout these plagues, we've talked about how many of the plagues impacted Egyptian life and areas of life which were thought to be under the domain of their pantheon, of their Egyptian gods. And one of the most venerated of the Egyptian gods was their creator and sun god, Ra. And in bringing about a plague of darkness, after all of these other plagues have shown up the Egyptian deities, the plague of darkness shows the ineffectiveness of their greatest deity. And it also, once again, shows the powerlessness of Pharaoh. The Egyptians believed that Pharaoh was himself a quasi-divine manifestation of Ra. And yet, Pharaoh is powerless to stop the darkness. And that's something that I think is difficult for us to truly appreciate that mentality and that way of thinking. I've been listening to an audiobook called In Order to Live by a woman named Yonomi Park who escaped from North Korea. And one of the things that she talks about early in the book is how when she was very young and Kim Il-sung, who was the uh, basically the first of the North Korean dictators, the grandfather of Kim Jong-un, that when he died, they thought he was God. And how earth-shattering that was for people in her family, like her grandparents, that they didn't think he could die. And again, that's something that is just hard for us to appreciate because that's not how we view political figures. But it's how the Egyptians viewed Pharaoh. And he's once again powerless. It would have been earth-shattering, the plague of darkness. In his commentary on Exodus, Philip Ryken summarizes the situation very well when he says, the plague of darkness proved God's absolute power over creation. God can unmake what he has made. This is something that all the plagues showed by reversing the six days of creation. The God who made the waters turned the Nile into blood. The God who made green things grow destroyed vegetation with hail and locusts. The God who made creatures swim in the sea and swarm on dry land brought death to fish and frogs. The God who made men and finally beasts sent them disease and even death. Finally, the God who brought light out of darkness made the light fade to black. End quote. We continue in our passage. And we come really to the second 
scene in the story. The light in Israel. Because amid the darkness in Egypt, and it's very quickly mentioned, but there's one place where there is light. Verse 23 mentions this at the end. Where it says, all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that some scholars believe that the darkness was the result of a dust storm or a sandstorm. And there are scholars who will give purely naturalistic explanations for how all of these plagues happened. But then several of the plagues, like this one, give us other details that defy a purely naturalistic explanation. So you read about the darkness and can think, oh, a sandstorm caused it. Dust storms are a real thing. They could cause it. And that's true. But then how is it not dark in Goshen where the Israelites live? How is there a sector that just happens to be insulated from the darkness? And so what happens with the plagues when we try to focus on purely natural explanations is that you almost need other miracles to explain how incidents like these happen. The plagues are divine acts of a mighty God. That's what we see in Exodus. That the Lord is absolutely sovereign over everything in creation. And in his goodness and grace, he spares Israel. All the people of Israel had light where they lived. What a great picture that is. In a darkened Egypt, God's people still had light. It's a symbol for how God's people were to be in the Old Testament. And it's a symbol for how God's people are to be today. Because the world is dark. We've spent two years in the Gospel of John. John loves the light and darkness imagery. The light is a symbol for righteousness and truth. Darkness is a symbol for what is sinful and wicked. Jesus is the light of the world. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls his followers to be light. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You don't have light to keep it hidden. You have light to shine. And as God's people, we are to shine as his light in a dark world. That the world is in darkness, but in our church, in our homes, in our families, in our lives, we are called to shine as light. Jesus doesn't say you should be the light or you could be the light or it would be really great if you would be the light. But he says you are the light of the world. That in a darkened world, the Lord has given us the light of the world, Jesus Christ. 
the light who is the true light. And that light is meant to shine so brightly in his people that we shine it in the rest of the world. We shine by loving people. We shine the light in truth. We shine it by sharing the message of Jesus with others. And we shine his light by pointing others to Christ. Are you shining for Jesus? Do you ever meet someone and it's so obvious in your interaction with that person? With how they talk or just a certain peace that they have, a certain inner light that you just sense in that person. That there's no doubt in your mind that they clearly know Jesus. We should be a church of people like that. People who passionately and unabashedly and unapologetically and fully live to shine the light of the glory of Christ in our community and in our world. And that will impact our world. 2 Corinthians 2 verses 15 and 16 talks of how the followers of Jesus will impact society. And that from that, there will be people who respond favorably. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Some will respond favorably. Others will not. Who will and who won't, we can't control. But what we can control is being faithful. And to trust that the Lord will bless that. But again, as people, and as a church, we are to be the place that is shining brightest in our community. And we come to the third act of this passage. Verse 24, we see the response of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart. Then... Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. Now, the passage had previously said that there were three days of night and darkness. Or rather, three days and nights of darkness. Now, it doesn't specify if that period had ended here by the time that Pharaoh is speaking with Moses Or if he's talking to him in the pitch black. Moses has been trying to get Pharaoh to allow the Israelites to go. In the eighth plague, Pharaoh tried to allow just the men to leave. In this verse, he will allow all the Israelites to go, but he says that they must leave their livestock We again see the incredible pride of Pharaoh that he's still trying to negotiate. He's still trying to save face. A person can be totally beaten down and defeated and still refuse to look to God in that. Pharaoh really doesn't have any buying power with trying to negotiate here. He and his kingdom have repeatedly been turned upside down by these plagues. And Moses says in verses 25 and 26, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. 
Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God, and we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. The Israelites go, and their livestock will go. The passage says, not a hoof shall be left behind. They're taking everything. How does Pharaoh respond? Verses 27 and 28. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Now, as we wind down this morning, I want to revisit that subject. I talked about it over a month ago. The plague series in Exodus repeatedly mentions the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. In this verse and others, it says that it was the Lord who hardened Pharaoh's heart. In other places, it will say it was Pharaoh who hardened his own heart. And in some places, it doesn't specify the cause, but reports that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. These verses are very interesting to consider when we think of doctrines like providence and divine sovereignty. Now, I don't think that these verses are enough by themselves to build those entire doctrines. Pharaoh does harden his own heart. He does that by his sin and his refusal to listen to God. We live in a world full of hard-hearted people who refuse to obey God. We're fallen and sinful. We choose to sin. And we're responsible for our own sin. And in God hardening the heart of Pharaoh, I think that points to how God can still use sinful people who refuse him for his own divine purposes. Now, God doesn't harden the heart of someone who otherwise would have loved and obeyed him. Again, God doesn't cause Pharaoh to sin. Pharaoh is responsible for his own sin. But God does utilize a sinful Pharaoh for his divine and eternal purposes. And we see that other places in the Bible. In the prophets, we see God use entire kingdoms as instruments of judgment upon the Israelites. Kingdoms who were pagan, such as the Assyrians and the Babylonians. In Jesus' day, we see pagan Roman officials like Herod and Pontius Pilate used in God's divine plan. And we see it with Pharaoh. His heart is hardened to God. He will not listen. And so he will instead be an object of God's judgment. Don't feel sorry for Pharaoh. He's not a victim. He's guilty of his sins. He sins against God and God's people. And there are consequences for that. And the wheels are now in motion for the final play. Moses leaves Pharaoh and says in verse 29, As you say, I will not see your face again. And he wouldn't. Pharaoh would soon meet the God whom he continually refused to obey. And I close by reading chapter 11, which is the final warning of the last plague. 
Everything else that the Lord has said would come to pass, came to pass. And after nine plagues, God promises one final ultimate judgment upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. After all of the refusal to release the Israelites, God will strike down the firstborn of all the Egyptians. Exodus 11. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of this land. Because of sin, Pharaoh and Egypt will bear great consequences. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the tenth and final plague. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, once again, we pray for this church, that we can be people who live as light in a dark world, who shine your light, Lord, who do that by loving you, loving people, by being gracious and humble, by being full of joy and loving truth, Lord, by serving each other and serving others. Lord, we pray for all of us in this church that that would be how we live. That we would do that out of joy and in the process, do that for your glory. And do that to be the aroma of life to others in the community. In Jesus' name, amen.